Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Roundtable Podcast, where we interview experts who tackle the tough topics and share strategies and techniques that will help you start, build, and grow your real estate investing business. And now your host, Rob the House Guy. Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Investors Roundtable. This is where we do real interviews with real investors that are active in the market today. I'm your host, Rob the House Guy, and this is the exact type of show I wish I had when I got started more than two decades ago to get me some of that inside information that can help propel you to the next level. I, for one, am very excited because we have a returning guest, a part two, if you will. We have Oliver Austria here from Triumph Capital Partners. Welcome back. Thank you. And to anyone that missed part one, we had you on here. We were talking all about your company and doing private capital and then institutional capital, where you came from. It was just a great episode. And I think we just felt that there just wasn't enough time to get everything out. And we wanted to have a part two now. And thank you so much for taking the time to come back on and do it again. Yeah, this is fun. So what we're going to talk about in this episode is the real estate financial climate, how it was back in the old Wild West how it is today, and where we think it's going. Not just with private capital, but even the old institutional money and, and so forth. You, you'd mentioned before that you came from a banking background back in 01, which was really the thick of it with all the subprime loans. What did you see back then as an underwriter? Yeah, so uh, it wasn't always like that. It wasn't always the Wild West. Uh, you know, so what we refer to as the Wild West uh, is when things started to get heated up. There was a lot of money in the system. There was a lot of uh, you know desire and push to get home ownership up. Uh, so, what happens is you know underwriting gets a little loose, uh, gets a little crazy. Everyone starts to uh, you know get loans uh, that probably shouldn't be getting loans. And what happens there is that it pushes asset values up. So when you have a lot of liquidity in the system, it's going to push real estate values up. And ultimately, what happened was there was a it was a downturn. There was a recession that was caused by by real estate, and so uh, the Wild West was, uh, uh, you know, teenagers or maybe even just fresh out of school, no job, uh, you know, limited credit score, limited credit history, uh, getting loans at 100% financing, sometimes 125% financing, you know, on homes that were you know seven figures, million dollar loans. Uh, it was it was a bit crazy. Um, I'm happy to say that uh, you know there was a correction that fixed a lot of that. And ultimately, there were you know things that you know took place that uh, just like in any sort of um, uh, you know uh, correction, there's a, there's a, a cleaning out process, and uh, that whole process cleaned up uh, the banking system. Where uh, fast forward to today, um, you know you have. You know, really, uh, you know, qualified borrowers getting uh, loans that you know are appropriate for their capabilities and in, in repayment. So, um, you know, I know that uh, ultimately, uh, you know, things are kind of like a pendulum, right? Yes. Things are going to you know sway from one side, and you know, it's probably a little extreme, and then you know it's go to the it's going to go to the other side where you know credit was tight for a while, but it's it, it, it's starting to settle back in again where things are. You know, it's pretty fair and, and normal. 
Well, back in our parents' day, it used to be to buy a house, it was 20% down. Right. And you, you saved your money, you put your big down payment, and then you went and you got a home loan at your local corner bank. And in our generation, as we became adults, that was right at the beginning of, well, why put 20% down? Because that's only going to move your payment you know, a few hundred bucks a month. Why don't we just go ahead and lend you 100% of that? And as it started driving things up, and then we quickly realized that people can't pay these back, especially when they have no skin in the game. When they didn't care about walking away from a signature versus walking away from twenty or $30,000 or $200,000 if you're buying that million-dollar home. So now, fast-forwarding from the, the crazy days when they recorrected, I personally, what I see is, I've seen FHA, which FHA, I always call it the new government-backed subprime. They keep, I see them getting looser and looser with their qualification process on that. But now instead of the banks losing a bunch of money, now it's Uncle Sam losing all the money. What do you see with that in your market out in Cali? Uh, well, Cali's kind of a whole different market, isn't it? Um, you know, uh, visiting Cleveland uh, for the first time, uh, real estate values are you know, way different. Uh, California, uh, you know, everything is expensive out there, especially if you're on the coast. Uh, you know, FHA, you know, is pretty forgiving uh, in terms of, you know, criteria, but I think there's a, there's a time and place for an FHA loan. And if it were not for, you know, programs like that, um, especially in California, it would be pretty tough to get into your first home. I know in our market here in Cleveland, Ohio, FHA is really probably the biggest game in town. If it weren't for FHA, I believe our housing market would slow down dramatically. But, I mean, at least for the folks I see buying homes, it's rare that they're going to qualify for that conventional loan because they don't have the bigger money down. They don't have the perfect credit score. They may have had some bumps in the past, you know, the bankruptcies, the foreclosures. So I think that it probably is propelling our market a lot right now. And I would be a little nervous to see what would happen if it dried up and got rid of that method of financing for your average homeowner. I'd agree. I'd agree with that statement. Um, you know, especially in California, as I mentioned, uh, you know, property values are so high that for anyone to come up with a significant down payment on a million dollar home, which by the way is pretty standard, you know, on the on the coast of California, Southern California, um, it's tough to come up with a you know a meaningful down payment apart from what FHA would would require. Now, with that said. I do think that there needs to be, you know, some protections in place to make sure that what we experienced, uh, you know, pre-08 doesn't happen again. Because what was happening back then was anyone with a pulse, uh, you know, was qualifying for a loan, and uh, ultimately it screwed up the system. It got to a point where everybody was getting a loan that they shouldn't have gotten. Not everybody, but a lot of folks, uh, and it uh, messed them up for, you know, for years and years to come. Uh, and it messed up, uh, you know, a lot of communities. And uh, it, it's tough to rebound from that when you have, you know, foreclosure, short sale uh, on your record. Now, um, you know, I think things are you know, starting to normalize again. Uh, and hopefully uh, things don't start to swing to the other side of that pendulum again, where uh, there's such loose credit because of so much liquidity in the market that, uh, you know, um, things don't make sense from an underwriting standpoint. Well, here's what doesn't make sense in my opinion is that we've basically, as business owners, we love the scale. You love the scale, I love the scale. We want to see how big can we get, how big of an area can we cover, and that's basically what the banks have done. Yeah. And we've drugged the general public 
into our scale, our economy of scale. So we've gotten rid of the corner ma-pa banks where it was make sense, listen, make sense lending, where the banker used to sit next to the borrower in church on Sundays and they said, yeah, your score's a little low, but you're a good person. I understand you got laid off last year and you got back on your feet. We're going to make that loan. And we've turned everybody just into a number. And then on the flip side, when things go bad, they're just a number there too. Take the house away. Don't work with them. Some of these loan modification and forbearances that they were trying to put in place to, for the homeowners to save the home, it would work on a local scale. It was a local lender, but when it became the large banks that were out west in New York, they just weren't working with the homeowners. And then they weren't really proactive in doing anything with the asset once they took it back. So they would be quick to remove the person from the house and then let this house sit there and get destroyed. Yeah, it's a uh, it's secondary market. It's the way that these uh, properties are being financed these days. Uh, there's a huge secondary market uh, in the mortgage industry. And what that means is that uh, the local bank that originates your loan oftentimes is not the owner of that loan uh, after the origination. And so, you know, your local banker that you're going to church with, um, you know, years ago, that person might have been the person that you speak to in the event that you hit hard times and you, you need to, you know, figure out what to do. That local banker no longer has that loan anymore on their book. So they don't even have any discretion, even if they wanted to help. So uh, there's some pros and cons to this secondary market. It's uh, created a lot of liquidity in the market where you now have, um, you know, so many people that can go out and get these loans, but at the same time, it's created this um, disconnect in the relationship, in the banking relationship that you spoke of, which really is a, a thing of the past, unless you have a local bank that um, keeps the loans on their balance sheet. Credit unions typically keep the loans on their balance sheet, um, and obviously private lenders, uh, if you're looking for uh, for a loan uh, for a home loan there's sometimes private lenders that will make you uh, a home on your primary residence it's not common but you know occasionally it happens well i know in our last episode we were talking to you about your lending company that's something that i love about that when you're doing the fix and flip loans for investors we're almost going back to mayberry back in andy griffith days where you are that local banker even though you're in california and you're dealing on a national scale you're still that relationship type banker that's looking at what makes sense and putting people beyond the number. You're like, does the whole deal litmus out? Does it make sense in a litmus test that this deal should work? And it's cool that you can still do that because you're doing business loans and lending to entities. But I believe that the big government regulations have made that impossible to do with trying to protect the consumer in just regular residential transactions for the owner occupants. Absolutely, yeah, fortunately we're in a space uh, within the mortgage industry that hasn't uh, seen a whole lot of uh, regulation. Uh, regulation's um, important for certain things like, you know, um, pollution and things like right. that. However, uh, you know, in our space where we have to move quickly, uh, any sort of regulation uh, that uh, we would be, um, you know, uh, I guess subject to, would just slow down the process. And so if you have a deal that needs to close in a few days, um, imagine if there was a whole lot of regulation there that just you know, needs to you know, uh, kind of take place. You're, you know, we're not looking at the same sort of turn times that we otherwise would. Um, so we take pride in the fact that we take consultative approach to these relationships with, with our borrowers. Uh, we allow 
uh, a second set of eyes. Uh, we have a whole team that reviews these deals uh, from soup to nuts. And if the deal makes sense, great, we'll provide financing for it. If the deal doesn't make sense, you know, that's one deal that you shouldn't have done that, you know, sometimes the best deal that you do is one that you don't do. Oh, yeah. So, oh. you know, the saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I always equate it to saying in business loans for business purposes, like you're doing, it's kind of like two pro boxers being in the ring. There's not a lot of need for regulation. It's when that pro boxer steps out and starts fighting someone in the crowd. <laughs> They're like, whoa. Hey, this is Andy from RealFlow, and our mission is to provide the tools and resources that people need to be a successful real estate investor. So as a listener of our podcast, we want to provide you each week with some of the tools you need on your journey. Check out the show notes to get this week's free gift. Happy investing. When you got started, you mentioned in the last episode, you were at Triumph Capital Partners, you were at 12, 14% interest, and now you're down to eight, nine. Do you equate that because the rates are dropping so low right now with the feds? Uh, it's actually a function of how much money has been pumped into the system. Uh, we've, we've experienced such inflows of capital that any prestigious, private equity firm, uh, any mid-level you know, bank has some exposure to the private lending industry in some way, shape, or form. Uh, you have so much capital chasing uh, a finite number of deals that the interest rates only have you know, one way to go, and that's, and, and that's to go lower. Um, you combine that with an interest rate environment that has seen you know, uh, yeah, seen it only go down over the past couple of years. Um, you know, there was talk uh, last year where you know interest rates might be going up. This year, that never happened, and uh, you know we're probably going to see rates tick down uh, even lower than they are right now. Again, uh, fourteen and fifteen percent uh, just I don't know, nine years ago. We're talking about you know eight to ten percent now, possibly even lower uh, moving forward. Uh, I see that as a reality. So I think it's um, it, it's it, it's boom time for real estate investors out there. Um, if they can find the deal, they can be certain that they can get the financing as long as uh, they have their ducks in a row. So I think that's something that's important for people to know at home. They Right now, we're discussing an entire sub-economy that's never mentioned on any news channels, never mentioned on any financial reports in the Wall Street Journal or anyplace else, about default rates or where the market's going. They're only talking about the institutional stuff, but they don't mention the private equity that's going on out there and how well it's doing and how great it returns. All the banks wanna be a part of this because they know it's a sound, secure investment because of folks like you that have boots on the ground and make sense of underwriting to make this happen. And you have investors that have some skin in the game that are really driving forth to make sure that the loan gets paid back. None of that's mentioned. All they talk about is the gloom and doom of the foreclosure market. So with all that said, let me ask you, what is your default rate in your loans that you're doing? We generally uh, cap out at the state maximum. So we're, you know, in California, we're uh, 18%, but that's the most that we can charge. So depending on the local, you know, we default to the, to the max rate that a state would allow in that. Okay, see, the, the fact that you misunderstood that question means that you probably have zero on default. <laughs> I'm not talking about your default rate. I'm talking your rate of defaulted borrowers. Oh, I see. See, which probably doesn't even cross your mind. Like, what do you mean defaulted borrowers? Yeah, I mean, it just <laughs> depends on how you define default, right? So we have some borrowers that, you know, are slow payers. 
that's what we call them internally. And slow payers means, you know, a guy, you know, has a payment due on October 1st. He's not paying it on October 1st. A lot of times you have these, you know, small mom and pop, you know, fix and flip shops that, you know, are so busy, you know, running the business that um, they're not necessarily cutting the check on the first of the month. Now, with that being said, uh, we typically define default as 60 days uh, beyond the maturity date, uh, excuse me, the, um, you know, the due date. And so our default rate uh, ranges anywhere from, you know, five to 10%, depending on the time of the month. Five to 10%. So out of that five to 10%, once they hit that 60 day mark, what percentage of those are unwilling to work with you to rectify the problem? Uh, just given most of our relationships, most are willing to, to work on things. Uh, again, these are relationships that, you know, we generally have uh, over, you know, a number of previous deals in the past. So, you know, if there's a reasonable issue that's taking place that we can help with, we'll certainly support them in however way we can. At the end of the day, uh, you know, if there's a borrower that just, you know, can't get out of their own way, then um, we're going to have to ultimately, um, you know, pursue, uh, you know, going out to the property. But, you know, we never, you know, want to uh, get to that extreme. Uh, it's usually sorted out within, you know, we have a whole asset management team in place that uh, typically has uh, follow-on relationships in terms of servicing and asset management um, with the borrower so that it doesn't get too far beyond, you know, 60 days once it gets to that point. So if I'm hearing you correctly, if you're talking about people that have had a real problem on this property, they're beyond 60 days, and they're unwilling to work anything out with you that you have to aggressively try to take the property back, you're talking maybe a couple percent. Yeah. So compared to institutional loans, to say you have a 2% true default rate is almost like mind-boggling. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to understand, Rob, that these guys have a vested interest in make sure, making sure that they get to the finish line, right? So not only have they put the down payment, not only have they you know, put in the sweat equity in getting all the work done and getting this house turned into you know, this beautiful you know, project, but they also have this, this huge carrot that they typically are going to cash in on you know, once the project is sold, right? So right. they have every reason in the world to make sure that they, they get to the finish line. And, you know, we help them, you know, cross the finish line in, in the best way possible. So if there's additional time that they need, you know, we'll typically work with them. Uh, if there's additional funds that they might need, we might modify the loan so that, you know, we can help them with that unforeseen, you know, expense that they didn't you know, budget for at the outset of the project. So you're on the journey with them. Absolutely. See, that you're going back to the 1950s again. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't happen in institutional banking, but look how the difference between big regulations and make sense lending is working because you're on that journey with them and you both have a reason to make this work. Yeah, this isn't a one and done transaction. These are all relationships with either the borrower themselves or the broker or any number of, you know, partners that we have in the space. So if we if we win, they win and vice versa. So you were clearly back in 01 getting started, you were doing underwriting for institutional loans in the subprime market. Why did you get into the the private market? Did you see a big need for it or just kind of fell into it? There's a huge need for it. Uh, when I first started uh, rehabbing homes, uh, there was uh, there were only a few options for where the money uh, you know, was coming from. 
Uh, there were, you know, there were friends and family. Uh, that's limited. Uh, there were a couple of private lenders in town. Uh, there was uh, a great need for it, um, and I felt that just given my background and given uh, my ability to scale a business uh, like I've done in the past, uh, I was able to do that in such a way where uh, that was really a, a greater value add in 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 my opinion, uh, you know, to the space than you know being a being a home flipper, and so uh, I just focused on that. Okay, so we've touched on the past. We went to where we are right now. Future. Where do we see the future going for for private money? Let's start with private money. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot is going on in this market. Uh, we've been in uh, a bull market since uh, 2008, and uh, the economy's uh, fortunately been going pretty strong. Interest rates are dropping, um, and you know we're seeing an inverted yield curve uh, again for the first time since 2007. So uh, there's a lot of question marks. Uh, interest rates are low. Um, inverted yield curve uh, typically means that there's going to be, you know, some recession at some point, not all the time, but that's kind of a, that's been a reliable bellwether for, for the economy. And so, uh, you know, what does that mean? What is it all? I mean, it's a lot to digest, but for, for the, uh, you know, for the individual, you know, uh, in the business of uh, flipping homes or building up a real estate portfolio, um, it means try not to get too caught up in, these macro events. It means continue to do what you're doing. Don't, you know, don't get too scared by what's going on with the headlines. Understand, you know, that uh, you're going to have ups and downs in the market and just make sure that uh, you're not trying to get in the business of, of, of timing the highs and the lows of any market. And so if you see a deal in your local market that uh, seems to be a discount off what uh, you know you could otherwise uh, you know see another property uh, sell for, and you should probably think about uh, looking at the deal as a, as another investment. I mean, nothing changes. It's you know we must go on, right? When when folks at home when they're watching the media and they're hearing about the the, the market falling and you know just being timely that today is like one of the big drops of a few hundred points, I think that. In my opinion, that's an opportunity to say, awesome, people are getting scared. People are going to be dumping rental properties. People might be getting out of some real estate investments. And then to be aligned with someone like you that's like, hey, not only can you go out and buy stuff on sale, we're here to finance that stuff on sale. Because really, in the worst of times where the most fortunes are made. Absolutely. And you know, to have a finance company aligned with that forward-thinking process that they're not running to the hills like a lot of the institutional banks are is just amazing. So I don't know if all the experienced and inexperienced folks at home watching this understand, but this is a pretty cool thing. Uh, as they say, when there's blood on the streets, there's money to be made. And yes. so, you know, that, uh, you know that, that simply means that there's opportunities that come along when, uh, you know, the, uh, the market falls. I mean, you know, since 2010, since I've been in the space of lending money to real estate investors, uh, the business has been strong. So in 2010, as you remember, the real estate market was kind of in a lull, you know, across the country. I would say that that's, you know, that's one of the busiest times that we've ever had. So in a time where uh, it's been a down market, we've been super busy. Uh, it's been an up market for the past few years. We've been super busy. And so uh, we've been able to see investors, uh, small and large, make money regardless of the market. So, you know, to your point, uh, if you 
if you just uh, if you stick to your you know to, to your knittings and you kind of realize that there's opportunities to be made regardless of what the headlines are, then uh, I think you'll do well for yourself. Well, I know you're a Cali guy from Boston to Cali, so you only live in expensive places apparently. <laughs> but being uh, you know in the Cleveland real estate market for 22 years, I don't think we ever saw that dip like the rest of the country did because we're buying things so far below replacement cost. I mean, to replace a house that, you know, we might be selling a two-family house. A lot of my investors come from Cali. And I might sell a two-family house for thirty, forty thousand bucks. It's bringing in eleven, twelve hundred dollars a month, and that's unheard of. Because if that house were to burn to the ground, you could never rebuild it for thirty thousand, forty thousand dollars. It would cost you one hundred fifty thousand to rebuild it. So I believe the future here is pretty solid. I think it's still continuing to go in the trend of more cash buyers. Where when I got started, I was selling to a lot of buyers that were borrowing money from institutions. Now, I'd probably say nine out of 10 of my buyers are either writing a check or they're going to someone like yourself that's funding that transaction for them. And I don't see it slowing down regardless of what the economy is doing. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a magical space that we're in, in to be a real estate investors. And, uh, you know, whether the market's good or bad, I think there's an opportunity somewhere. Um, it, you know, look in your own backyard first. But, you know, you know what I mentioned earlier. Uh, you could take your knowledge and apply it anywhere across the country. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in the last episode, I asked you what freedoms real estate has given you and your family. But I'm not going to be redundant to ask the same question again. So what freedoms do you see your clients getting from real estate? All the folks coming to you to, to borrow this money to make their dreams come true. What freedoms do you see them getting out of this? Sure. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of amazing things. Uh, via real estate investing. Uh, the thing I love about it is that uh, everybody kind of has their own, you know, particular goals and, you know, strategies to it. Uh, I've seen folks develop, uh, you know, a, a huge portfolio of properties over a short number of years and never really have to have an, you know, an active daily schedule as it relates to quote unquote work anymore. Uh, they love it and they continue to build upon those portfolios. Uh, some folks that are, you know, in the real estate investing space that have more of a creative kind of bent to them, you know, allow them to kind of have an outlet for that creativity while it's, while still being able to, you know, build uh, uh, and amass income. So, you know, from a, you know, from the standpoint of uh, designing your life, I find that a lot of folks have uh, been able to accomplish just that, get away from, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, what would otherwise be considered a you know, a, a daily grind, a corporate grind, whatever that might be. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's an amazing time to be alive, to be able to not only uh, be a, a part of the space, but also have, you know, all the tools in front of us to be able to do this anywhere. And so, um, you know, whether your thing is uh, cars, houses, traveling, uh, that's all possible through real estate. I mean, real estate, you know, as we know, is the number one wealth builder in, in this country. And for anyone to be able to just pick it up uh, and not have to you know, go to college for it, not have to go through extensive schooling through it, um, but still be able to find avenues for education and support system and the community around it, uh, I think that's an amazing thing. And you, know, you, don't, you, know, you don't find that in, you know, in every space or industry. And as a shameless plug for you, and have that rich uncle that's willing to fund the dreams. 
Uh, Albert, thanks so much for being on again. I know you and I could talk forever about this. Absolutely. We should have a third episode. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's been great, though. We love having you on here. You've been watching the Real Estate Investors Roundtable with your host, Rob the House Guy. And remember, nothing works unless you do. This episode is brought to you by RealFlow, the smart way to invest in real estate. All the tools you need to automate lead generation and marketing. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to leave us a review and subscribe. And you can get a copy of the transcript in the show notes below. Happy investing.